I think when I, I really realized that it was a serious business, this was pre-Pentagon Stratcom when I had a problem that we were trying to solve. And there were some gaps in that problem. I needed some knowledge to be able to give him a solid recommendation. And so I ask a question through the apparatus that's in place for the intelligence community. And a nuclear submarine got repurposed, retasked, sent to a different <laughs> part of the ocean to collect information to answer my question. Wait, wait, wait. At that point in time, I was like, I'm, re- I'm wow. redirecting subs. Yeah, yeah. wow. Well, it, and, wow. It, and, it, and it wasn't me. It was right. the it was the product that I was trying the seriousness of the product that I was trying to build uh-huh. for the decision maker. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. The Mr. Market Podcast is a production of Sphere Wealth Management. Sphere is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sphere and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal. No advice may be rendered by Sphere unless a client service agreement is in place. See our ADV or get additional information about Sphere. Visit our website, www.sphereWealth.com. Firm information is also available on the SEC's website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For investing, seek advice from a financial professional, preferably one that acts as a fiduciary and is willing to put that in writing. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or sign up for our email commentary through our website, SphereWealth.com. This is the Mr. Market Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. And I had one kid that was coming through, and when they come come to basic training, they they go through a reception station, and there they get their uniforms, they do all this stuff, and and then they get introduced to their basic training company. My role as the commander would be would be to go, and I'd have to go sign for all those privates before we could take control of them. Yeah, and and so there were some things I learned to look for, like if their uniforms were already faded. Probably a problem child because they've been in the reception <laughs> quite a while, but they've washed their uniforms a lot. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, you go through and you get these, you meet these, and, and they're remarkable people. A yeah. lot, you know, oh, yeah. And it's really neat and all that stuff, but they're young. And I was oh, older yeah. at the time and they just right. look so young. And I had this guy and he had this weird, you know, kind of a twitch about him. Something told me I needed to talk to him. Yeah. So I was talking to him and, and he got more and more nervous. Which is not uncommon because, you know, they've been told yeah, to... You're the, you're the command. Yeah, yeah, be, yeah. Be, be, just stay away from those people. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I started talking to him and he, he looks at me and, and, and I, said, I said, what's wrong? He said, he said, well, I'm just now coming off LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally against the rules. <laughs> you know, Wait, so. that's against the rules? Yeah. So. I thought that was encouraged. You would think. <laughs> Listen, different, different era. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen Platoon. I'm pretty sure it's encouraged. Uh, <laughs> My toe first are, and I said, you know, we watch this kid. Next day, next morning, we get up to go watch him, and we watch him crawl out the window. He has a plastic bag. He's got all his stuff in it, and he's looking around, and then he starts trying to sneak off. You know? Oh, my goodness. So I said, well, let's let him get down the street. We'll call the MPs, and then we'll have enough to just go ahead and send him home. Oh, yeah. So yeah. he was going to hurt himself or hurt somebody else. Is so. the military yeah. not for everybody? That, yeah. You know, some people, they do it for different reasons. I did it because I was making bad grades in college. You yeah. know, my junior year, mom and dad cut the money off. and uh, <laughs> I had to go. <laughs> and they had a $2,000 signing bonus. And they gave you that exact same spiel right there. They said, you know, not everybody is meant to, to pay taxes and support the military. Some of them were meant to just go fight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some of them were supposed to jump out of airplanes, which is... which is Yeah, done that too. Which yeah. is what... Now, now, what division were you in? Okay, so... I, I, I'm what we call a five jump chump, but I, I did airborne school. Mm-hmm. I was in the 101st Airborne Division. Okay. So the Air, 101st Airborne Division air assault 
uh, conducts air assault operations, and that's a lot of uh, rappelling out of helicopters, sling loading operations, movement of troops through, you know, kind of an air mobile, mm-hmm. you know, environment, as opposed to the 82nd Airborne Division, which those are the guys that go and jump for a living. Gotcha. And, uh, and then, of course, there's all the special groups. And now, like is 82nd, is that Rakasans? No, that was when I was in the 101st. Okay. Yes. So 101st third, is Rakasans. Well, 101st is the Screaming Eagles. Okay. Third Brigade, hundred and first, is the Rockasans, gotcha. and that's the unit that I uh, supported and was, a, you know, was a part of. Yeah, and uh, you may not recall this, but I took you out to your tree in the front yard, hooked you up with repelling gear, and uh, got up, you know, midway in the tree and had you up there trying to repel out of the tree. That's perfect. <laughs> you know, I think when I lived on Aura, I, uh, I was four years old, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had to tie the seat really tight. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I know my mom didn't catch you do that. <laughs> she didn't see that. No. But uh, so if uh, you're curious, we have Tim Rose. And just so you guys know, this is going to be our last Mr. Market podcast. After today, we have to change the name. Turns out that Mr. Market is trademarked. Yeah. And our trademark attorney uh, let us know that we would probably need to tra- change the name if we wanted to continue to do this. We're going to come up with a name. I, can't, I I like the name Wagon of Fools, but uh, but Don and Keith were against that. Wagon of Fools. Wagon of Fools. Probably It won't be that. It'll probably be something else. And so we brought Tim Rose in. Tim has been in the military for a long time. Also, currently, the director at Brightwater? No, no, no. The I'm, head of Brightwater. No. President. Oh, uh, no. Chief. Chief. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, what, uh, Far t- from it. Negatory. <laughs> I'm, negatory. I, I'm at Brightwater when I spent my most of my military career. I'm middle management. So that's, <laughs> uh, and happy to be there. Tell us about Brightwater. Uh, Brightwater is a uh, remarkable organization that um, the Walton family back in 19, or excuse me, uh, 2017, Center for the Study of Food. It's more than just a culinary school. That's what you see, or, you know, and all of that. But the idea is not to necessarily produce chefs, but to produce students that come out with a well-rounded understanding of the food system, and how to support mm-hmm. the local food system and the food network. But uh, I run the business side of it. Well, I was okay. just going to say, everybody else there is like all about food, except you. Is that yes. Right? So everyone else there can make a frozen pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a challenge for others. Although, have you gotten into food? Have you gotten into- uh, I'm, I'm learning and I'll tell you, for me, it's rather remarkable. The similarities between uh, the, the culinary world and the military are tremendous. Mm-hmm. How they set up their command structure in the kitchens, all, you know, all these types of things, it really fits nicely. So that for me has been a welcome relief. And uh, my new executive director, Marshall, he, he kind of scowls at me every now and then when I say this, but they don't let me in the kitchens. And I gave, I gave Melissa food poisoning on our first date. <laughs> and, uh, what, what were you trying to make? Cor- Cornish hen. And, oh, and, and no, at least back then, in, uh-huh. in, in the early 1990s, they didn't have instructions to thaw it first. They had cook it 400 degrees for X amount of time. <laughs> It, it looked good. I bet it did. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. that looks good. Yeah. And, she, and the thing is, she ate it. She didn't say anything. She ate it. No, she was very polite. Yeah. yeah. I've seen this chef on down command operation like you talk about. because, yeah. But I get out of the way when I see oh, that. Yeah. I, I just get out of the way when I see them going to work. And they're they're impressive. But they uh, the, the ones that I've been around, and Tim, you can address this, like they'll just stand there and have a good conversation with you and all that. Just stay out of the way, right? Right. Just, they're working and they're... And they're able to talk and have a conversation with you. I think while that's probably a lot like you know. I think yeah. that's probably a lot like Wall Street, right? Like those. I'm sure it those would be. Uh, investment mm-hmm. bankers working just hundred hour work weeks and stuff. Yeah. yeah, quite a bit. Now all the movies make it look like these kids are just hazed, 
mistreated. Yeah. That is chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly how it is. <laughs> I'm sure that's, <laughs> I think exactly, that's exactly how it goes. I think it's yeah. probably worse than that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to emulate that. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's really well, happening on the floor. Speaking of Wall Street, we do have a little bit of finance here. They relaxed some capital requirements at the beginning of this pandemic for banks. And right. so relaxing capital requirements means that whenever you go to a bank and you make a deposit in your account, and then that bank then goes out and makes a loan, that bank has a ratio that they have to keep of amount of deposits versus amount of loans that they have out. You know, whenever we went into the 08 crisis, that, that requirement wasn't stringent enough and we got hammered. A lot of financial companies got hammered, went under because we had a fairly lax capital requirement. The Canadian requirement was much higher. And so they shifted it, made it look a lot more like that. Here comes the pandemic. They relaxed it a little bit and they just let that expire. So I think it was set to expire. They let it expire. They didn't re-up it. Uh, J.P. Morgan off two and a half percent today because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of it, when you think back to why did they do that? Well, it was because when the PPP money came out right, right last year, what they wanted to do was run that through the local banks. And so they basically, you know, rather than the federal government trying to do that whole operation, right. the federal government just gave the funds to local banks and the banks put the PPP money out there. Well, so they had to relax the standard in order to be able to pull that off and mm -hmm. have that window of time to do it. And so I, it I probably think, won't be that big a deal. I don't know that it's going to be that big of a deal. Yeah. I do think that interest rates creeping up is a bigger deal right now. Earnings aren't really growing fast enough and the economy's not moving fast enough for the market to keep expanding at this rate. Also, you're seeing the Dow and the NASDAQ, like one can be positive and one negative. You generally don't see that, but this is the time when you right. begin to start seeing that. Yeah, A lot of that sector the, rotation, which I talked about on the Facebook Live yeah. yesterday, if you haven't had a chance to catch that. Yeah, very that. good show, Yeah, Thanks. by the way. That was good. Yeah, was good, I, I, a good explanation of uh, you had the you little know, box up there, and you had the small and the mid and the large. You ever, you ever tried to, like the weatherman? Like, yeah. That's a hard job. That's a hard deal. I'm looking at the screen, and I know the box is back there, but it's flipped. You know, it's backwards. It's backwards. And so you're, you're, you're like up, down, up is down, down is up. I don't... <laughs> You, you, you look you look dyslexic you just it's hard man. <laughs> yeah it's hard to do that Got a yeah. brand new appreciation for the uh for the weatherman what those what, yeah what they have to do so, yeah. so um it's like driving a car from another country you know over in europe with, on the wrong side of the road in england or whatever I, see so, i haven't i haven't done it on the wrong you, side of the have road have you done yet. that tim yeah. well in afghanistan they would give us um, um vehicles from different parts of the world and every now and then you'd get one with the steering wheel on the wrong side of the vehicle <laughs> and, and all so seriously anyway, I, in afghanistan they yeah. have some vehicles with the on the right and some on the left and that is why i always had a driver so, yeah 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 i'm gonna try to give your uh your bio real quick okay. and you tell everybody how wrong this is because i don't i think that this may have been this well, may have been well, you start you, throwing out words like director and yeah <laughs> like that. you really <laughs> flubbed up the brightwater <laughs> no, one Boy, go did, ahead go ahead and go just, with this you one. Just, see. you just start see. with middle management, middle management. <laughs> he's, so, he's middle management at the pentagon yeah so uh so grew up in pine bluff right um Survived by middle management. Survived was the middle manager of Pine Bluff. <laughs> middle management of Pine Bluff. Uh, one night, me and one of my best buds were out uh, hanging out off of Cherry Street, uh -huh. and um, and we decided we were going to throw some. We got throw some water balloons. Anyway, we go fill up these water balloons. We get these people mad at us, and we're calling a friend of ours to to come get us. And we had a bunch of guys after us that we had insulted their sister somehow. I don't know. Wait, wait you insulted <laughs> their sister when? When we were on Cherry Street hanging out. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So it started. It started a big old chain of events, man. 
And it turned into a full night. I mean, this was a five-hour escapade. It's a, he's talking about being in a movie. This is the movie. This is the movie this right This is here. the movie right yeah. here. And, and they can write I, this. I can say his name. I mean, I can say people's name. You know, Lowry. Yeah, you know Lowry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, anyway, he's a remarkable guy and has yeah. gone on to have a remarkable life. But, uh, yeah, he and I used to get in quite a bit of trouble. Now he's yeah. a pediatrician, so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's like Patch he's, Adams. Like it's he, like I follow these, him on Instagram. These mothers that, yeah, he's Patch Adams. Yeah. <laughs> Patch these Adams. mothers that take their children in to see him, I'm always thinking, Y'all don't really know him very well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, he is a he's a solid so, guy, hundred percent. So, you yeah. fit, so you're yeah. filling up water balloons, you're chucking them at cars. Yeah, we're having this, inno- we're having innocent fun, right? And and come to find out, so when when our buddy Robert comes and gets us, and we're thinking he's going to bring you know Jeff Green, you know Green, five six other guys, yeah, the big guys, yeah. and, and carry us back to Beck's car, and we go in there, and, and he shows up by himself with a baseball bat, and I'm looking at him like. You're crazy, dude. dude. We're, we're we're outgunned here. Is this is a, a truck. Is this is a truckload of dudes. Is this a, is that a gift for them? Are we giving them a are we to giving beat us with? <laughs> so, but that's, but that's just like Robert, yeah. and we won't say any last names, right. right? But that's just like Robert that he would think he could show up with a baseball bat and, and, and solve right, the problem, save the world, yeah, yeah, save the world, yeah. But uh, so we go back, and the police are there, and 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 and, and somebody points out, there they are, you know, and uh-huh. that's, yeah, you know, so yeah. But you but you were running through the backyards, right? Oh man, jumping over fences. We were jumping fences. Cars were coming. We were diving in the ditch. You know, we, yeah. we, were, we were making it exciting. <laughs> and in reality, we probably went 200 yards and, you know, whatever. But it was, it, say, it, it was story, a pretty big night. That story, that story just keeps getting a little it's bigger. It's a movie. Yeah. It's a movie, man. Oh, no, movie. I, I know enough to know that the whole experience of you in Pine Bluff could probably be yeah, it, a it'd movie. be like a... Instead of Ozark, it'd be Pine Bluff. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about saying what's up to the president? Oh, oh yeah, you, yeah, you told <laughs> No, right, go ahead. So, let's hear that. So, yeah. so my first time to go in the White House Situation Room, you know, it's a, uh-huh. it's a big thing. I'm excited. You know, I'm yeah. a kid out of Pine Bluff and, and, uh, and I'm fired up about this. And, and I go and I'm briefing the director of the White House Situation Room. So, so he and I and a couple other people are in the main briefing room there. And the Situation Room set up. There's, there's three briefing rooms. There's a little small one where you saw the picture of Benghazi where they're all sitting there staring at the screen. Mm-hmm. That's a little bitty room. Smaller mm-hmm. for me to that screen. Yeah. You know, even smaller than that, actually. But so there's that one. Then there's the big one that you see in some of the pictures and things that the White House photographers take in. It's got uh-huh. screens on the, on the wall. And mm-hmm. Great communications. We were in there, and that's the president's main briefing room. So we're in there talking, and, and um, one of the people came in and said, said hey, you guys are going to have to bump out of here. The president's called a special cabinet meeting. Mm. You just need to step out. And I was like, okay, roger that. I'll give up my seat to the president. Actually, I was yeah. sitting in his chair because so, yeah. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Oh, but, wow. uh, that is cool, yeah. but, uh, So we leave, and the director says, hey, you want to meet the president? And I'm like, well, yeah. And so he says, well, I'll tell you what. He said, just stand right here. He says, if he's, we don't know why they're going in there right now, but if, if you just stand right here, if he stops to talk to you, then talk to him. If not... You got to be two feet from the president, you yeah. know, whatever. So I'm standing there and just kind of awkward. And he said, now, a bunch of people are going to come by. And he said, then the photographer's going to come by. And once the photographer comes by, the president will be a minute or so after him. And, uh, and also I'm sitting there and, you know, Petraeus and Panetta mm-hmm. and, Gay, you know, all these different people are yeah. coming by and they're fist bumping. And they don't know me, you know, they're yeah. just like, who's this guy? Whatever, dude, you're standing in the way. Get away. Get away, man. <laughs> so I thought they were fist bumping me, but really they were they're, pumping me. <laughs> <laughs> Bam, get out the way, man. Get out the way. Here comes some blood wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why did he hit me back? <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there and then the photographer comes by. So now, you know, my, my pine bluff starts coming. I get a little nervous and I'm thinking, wow, I'm fixing to meet the president. And, um, so and now, now can you see him coming? Well, he, is, no, is, there's a door. He opens it's Obama, his, right? Yeah, yeah. President okay. Obama, he walks by, there's a door he opens up and he, 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 he walks in 
and he, he looks at me for a second and, and I, I'm in a coat and tie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I don't have the secret service pin, so I'm not secret service. And, and I'll be, he looks at me and he gives me one of these, you know, kind of a head bob. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're from Pine Bluff and somebody does that, what do you do? That's what's up, man. That's, right. Right. <laughs> That's a natural response. That's a, what, yeah. What's up? And so, so he kind of grinned yeah. and he goes on in and sits yeah. down and they close the door and yeah. they, you know, start their briefing, whatever. And the director comes up, puts his helmet on show. He says, Tim, did you just say what's up to the president of the United States? <laughs> what's up? <laughs> what's up? I said, I don't know, sir. Do I still have a job? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's anyway. great. What a great story that is. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so now I joined the military eventually. Now you did th- through the ROTC program? Well, no. So what I did was um, like my grades started dropping. I was having too good of a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started school when I was 17. I wasn't ready. Mm. And... I'd been working at the lumber yard during the summers down in Pine Bluff. And, and so um, mom and dad basically said, you know what? Your grades are bad. Figure out if you want to go to school, figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I saw an advertisement for the military GI Bill and then they had a $2,000 signing bonus and I got excited. And I didn't want to go back to the lumber yard. So I yeah. went down to the recruiter, walked in. The guy showed me this great video of this guy crawling through a plush field with some C4, sticking it on a bridge blowing it up at two o'clock in the afternoon on a 70 degree day. I was like, that's for me, man. Hey, you can blow that, stuff up. Blow stuff up. <laughs> I can do it. You're like, I've blown stuff up before. Do I tell you that now or do I not say that? No, well, actually I'm halfway trained. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Uh, so, but I came back. So I did that in the reserves. I joined okay. the reserves and then uh, uh, came back to school and, and with all that money, went another year or so and finished up, graduated, Okay. Uh, moved off. And then you get back in the military. Now, why? Why do you, why do you go from there back to the military? Well, I ended up coming back to Arkansas. TCBY did a layoff. Mm-hmm. Um, always wanted to fly a helicopter, so thought, why not? I'll join. The, you know, move into the Arkansas Guard and yeah. put, submit my my packet and uh, see if I get accepted. Well, that drug out and drug out, and by this time, I had met my now wife Melissa, mm-hmm. and um, and this is where I got into ROTC. Okay. And uh, John Hamilton, Lieutenant Colonel Hamilton, told me he said, Tim, he said. You'll just go in and fly as an officer instead of warrant officer. Go ahead and contract. So I contracted with ROTC. Mm-hmm. So so I go on through. I graduate, distinguished military graduate, all excited to be the number one guy, knowing I was going to get my first choice, which was aviation. Uh-huh. I didn't get it. I got my fourth choice, which was air defense artillery. So that's Army logic. They're not going to let me fly what I want to fly, but they're going to give me something to shoot it down. That's uh, <laughs> that's actually... <laughs> So, now, now, were you upset about this when it... Um, I, you know, I think I was re- more surprised than upset. I really like, wow, what, what? Yeah, now, what happened? How yeah. come not? I'm, you know, I'm, you know, all the paperwork, everything in there. But uh, who knows why? There was during the, during the mid 90s, mm-hmm. and they were doing the big drawdown at the time. Okay. Uh, they went from 890,000 troops down to 530, and then on okay. down to 490, and then back up to 500. But so I went to that. And so they give you one of those giant guns from the ground, and like whenever you're seeing the. In you the, actually in, got to play on. on uh, I was about to say, yeah. did, so that, that was you. So that, mm-hmm. now, What's the role? Do you join them? You're, you get there, you get to your base, and they and they go, "Hey, uh, hey, man, run out there and learn how to how to shoot helicopters out of the sky." Is that like? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, it's a lot like that. No, <laughs> they uh, they you know they send you to a lot of school, and the guys who actually officers it's, don't so necessarily this is like operate the exact equipment. opposite of the finance industry. Because when you get to join the finance industry, they don't tell you anything. They you just, they just they're like, "Hey, you passed the test. You must know enough to do this. So uh, good luck out there." That's right. Yeah, go make it. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. What happens? You get there. Yeah, well, so, you know, you, you become a second lieutenant, and, and I just completed airborne school. They're like, okay, now go to air assault school. You can't get a yeah. platoon until you finish air assault school. 
Well, when they say go, like it's not like just go over to the barracks right over there. It's like go to a completely different town. In, in some what? cases, yeah. But yeah. in this particular case, because I was assigned at the 101st, and that's where the Sobolowski Air Assault School is located. Oh, okay. That, so I just went down the street. I actually went home at night and, okay. and slept at home. I just okay. had to get up at, you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning to make yeah. it back up there. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, but that was nice. And and uh, completed that, and, and that's back when they could do the blood wings. So that was that was all fun and exciting when you get done. And, and the everybody, blood wings. everybody... Put, they put your wings on your chest, and everybody comes by and hits you in the chest, and oh. you know, with your little thing. So you, you, you know, get a little blood going there. But uh, <laughs> that's nice and fun. <laughs> oh yeah. boy, I could just picture that they, in they, the investment do, business. You know, the yeah. official stance is they do not do that anymore. Though. Oh, okay. so that's the yeah, official yeah, stance. Yeah, 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 they don't cut ties anymore in the uh, in the investment business either. <laughs> no, no cutting ties no and no. Cut ties. Would you call it blood wing? Yes. No. Blood. Almost, we're going to introduce nope. the blood wings. Let's do that. Let's try Sphere the blood is wing. now doing the blood wings. So. He, but Tim said they don't do it in the military. Yeah, we don't anymore. promote it, but we just do it. Well, we, okay. we just don't, well, they don't do it in the military. They can neither confirm nor deny. Or at least yeah. that's, <laughs> what, that's what they do. Tim knows the lingo. You know, <laughs> yeah. he knows the lingo over there. I can neither confirm nor deny. Now, so, now, why do most guys join? Is it the money? Is it the it's thrill? It, is it the, man, I don't have any other option? It, it really is a litany of reasons why people actually sign the line. Okay. Uh, some people do their, their duty to their country. They're obligated. Some people had family members, you know, whatever the case may be. Some needed the money. Some uh, needed the training, yeah. you know, to prepare them oh, for yeah, a job okay, in the okay. civilian world. Because there's a lot, you know, military is a big, big complex, a big, right. you know, apparatus. And there's a lot of different skill sets that you can gain from being in the military right. and br- that translate back to civilian jobs. The one I want is shooting airplanes out of the sky, though. I need a civilian <laughs> job shooting airplanes out of the sky. Well, the, the challenge. They shoot back, though. You, got, you don't, okay. you Wait, don't no, think only in the mili- Only in the military time. <laughs> <laughs> They shoot back in the military. (laughs) A plane or the ground units? Who has the advantage in that scenario? It all goes down to the sophistication of the early warning system and the and the and the radars and things that are involved. And so, so what I was dealing with, we were light. We were called light fighters. You know, man pads. And so those guys are at a. Uh, they have an advantage from the from the perspective that they're not going to find one small two man team sitting on the top of a hill in the middle of the woods somewhere, just sitting yeah. crouched in a hole waiting for somebody, you know, to get a call to say a plane's coming. They got to find it. Yeah. The sophisticated systems as they get larger, you know, greater radar range mm-hmm. and things like that. Most of those types of battles take place miles and miles apart. And I got into some of that when I transitioned over into the intelligence community. So you join your base out of Fort Campbell. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what, how did you get to Fort Leonard Wood? Well, I, okay, so I was supposed to go to Fort Drum out of Fort Campbell to take command. Um, Melissa, we were having our first child. Mm-hmm. My branch calls me and says, hey, I know what we told you, but you're going to Korea and you're going for a year without your family. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, my daughter's not even born yet. When do I have to be there? And they're like, well, you're leaving. You got to be there in April. And I'm like, well, my, my child's supposed to be born in April. Is yeah. it, you know, what, a couple of nights later, I'm laying in bed. And Melissa wakes me up and says, hey, you got a call from, you know, my old colonel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he calls me up. He says, Tim, what's going on? I said, so he goes off. He calls on his buddies. And uh, gotcha. so this and is works out. And I get to stay. Now, I missed taking that command right in the very beginning, which mm-hmm. in the Army is a big, you know, that's, right. that was a conscious decision on my part. Right. How old are you at this time? What, 34 years old? So at 34, yep. you're in Korea. Now, why do we have a presence in South Korea? Well, there's there's strategic reasons, and uh, and and they date back to the ending of the, the Korean conflict, as far as the hot ending of it. Yeah, yeah and so yeah. it was kind of a strategic decision to have a presence in that area, which allowed for 
movement of forces in the area, relationships to be built, mm -hmm. strengthening the South Korean economy. You yeah. know, the U.S. being there, a lot Which, of dollars flowing in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people don't, I don't think people realize how strong the South Korean economy yeah. actually is. I mean, yeah. this is essentially a developed nation at this right. point. Samsung, in terms of a corporation, Samsung is one of the largest corporations in the world based out of South Korea. And I believe they started as a, as a grocer. I don't know if you know this, Samsung, which oh. makes your TVs, your cell phones, it's like the you know the biggest competitor to Apple, right? And a bologna sandwich. And, and I think yeah. they started out as a as a grocer. I didn't know that. Yeah, now I could I, I could I could have this story mixed up with something else, but no, I'm pretty sure that that's the case. So, uh, I mean, as we talk about emerging markets, which we did a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. you think about things like emerging markets would be China mm -hmm. or Russia or yeah. India, India on that kind of cusp of, man, can, could India really take a lot of that manufacturing uh, dominance away from China or could Africa or could South America, like these, these economies that we hope from a global standpoint, we hope that we're able to diversify manufacturing around. So our goods aren't sourced from just one specific place. Right. How long ago did North Korea and South Korea split? When did that happen? Well, it was 1953 is when, uh, you know, they met at Panmunjom to, you know, sign the armistice, uh, the, the ceasefire, okay, if you will. And why did North Korea become like? Why did North Korea adopt the communist philosophies, and why did South Korea adopt the more democratic? You know, I, I don't, I don't know the, the the real answer for that. I guess my guess is is because of uh, proximity. You know, that's that was their support mechanism. Yeah, Good. you don't hear a lot about the Korean War. You know, any, anymore. Yeah. I mean, my father fought in there. Did your father fight in the Korean? Uh, yeah, he he fought during the Korean War era. Not fought, but he was in the Air Force in Libya during yeah. the Korean War time. So okay. he joined the Air Force, okay. but they sent him to Libya. Yeah, 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 yeah. My and my dad, kind of a similar thing. He was in Germany, like based out of Germany, and mm -hmm. he would show me these these um, machines that he used. I don't know what they're called, navigation, you know, machines, <laughs> and and they were so primitive. You did you like the, you made the etch a sketch. I thought well, you know, it's like a, it, it's, that's, that's called an etch a sketch. <laughs> that's what they look like. It was like a like a little box, like an etch a sketch box, and he's and he's like showing that to me, and that's how they would figure out where these planes were and whatnot, you know. And I was just like, I I did not care, you know. I cared about let's play baseball, right? Yeah. What I'll, I'll well, and about. and and your dad, my grandfather, just before he passed, and he passed away. Uh, what was that? 2010. 2010? Yeah. That's way in 2010. But just before he passed, he reached out and grabbed me by the shoulder and he looked at me and he was like, John, there's some ammo down the line. You've got to get down there and get the ammo. And I was like, well, ammo? And I think I think you were standing there and you were yeah. like, ammo? Like, what kind of ammo? Dad, like, like grenades? And he's like, oh, yeah, there's definitely grenades in there. you got to get down there. <laughs> it's down the line. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, down, down the line. Down what line? <laughs> what, are, what line are you talking about? <laughs> what line? Where do you want me to go? <laughs> Have you stashed ammo? <laughs> Have you stashed grenades at the nursing home, Papa? <laughs> at the nursing home, yeah. Is yeah. that what's happening here? Oh, gosh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Now, you're in, you're in Korea, and, you know, just from, from working it out with Branch and everything, I ended up at Fort Leonard, Missouri. Now, I, what happens at Fort Leonard? Is that, is that MP school? Well, it is now. When I went, it was strict, pretty much uh, basic training and then the engineer school okay. was located there. They moved the MPs there. I think when I was there, maybe a little after I left, I can't really recall. Yeah, yeah. And, and all, but it, they, MPs and transportation moved there. It's now a maneuver support center, and it's a combination of different skill sets mm -hmm. that they bring in. And at the end of that, I talked to my branch again, and I said, look, I've been hosed twice now. I thought yeah. I was going to Fort Drum, then I thought I was going to Fort Campbell. It's time for you to take care of me. 
he called me back and said, I got two assignments for you. One's another command if you want it. So that's a third command, which is very rare mm-hmm. uh, for a company grade officer. And, or you can go to an organization called the National Ground Intelligence Center. Mm. And I was like, never heard of it. And he says, well, not many people have. So this is the part of the story that I attached to, the James Bond part of the story. Because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, my uncle does James Bond stuff with the James Bond. You know, he's got, a, he's got an Aston Martin <laughs> with guns that come out the side and fire that blows out the back. And he can't tell us anything about it. No one he, knows where yeah, he's at. No, no one knows who he is. He's, he's yeah. secret. He's very secret. He's a secret agent. He's a secret agent. Yeah. So, well, so it's, no, far from that. No, so, uh, <laughs> I got to hang out with some, though. Did you? Yeah. That, I see. I think that would be fascinating. Wow. I think that would what be, was that like to hang out with a secret agent? There was a, a functional area called Thirty Four, functional area Thirty Four, called Strategic Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Got transitioned over to the Strategic Intelligence because I was older mm-hmm. and taking a battalion command and everything like that. My body's breaking down. You know, I've already had knee surgery, some other mm-hmm. things. So, now so, why'd you have knee surgery? <laughs> I, I, I'd like to tell you it was because I was being hua running through the battlefield somewhere, but in honesty, I was playing third base on the post <laughs> softball team. <laughs> And, uh, Which is important. I've, seen a, few, go. I've <laughs> seen a few good men. I know how important the, yeah, the, that's the, good. the softball that, team that, is. Hey, that Army that. softball is full contact softball. That's, that's, that's all I'm going to tell you. Well, well, in full disclosure, Tim was an all-star third baseman. In real, okay. But yeah, I mean, he, he, was a, he was a for real now, baseball I, player, yeah. Yeah, now yeah. I've heard some stories about Tim throwing rocks at cars and <laughs> – Getting yeah, shot at, and he was like, you know, fourteen years old, running around Pine Bluff. Well, you can imagine if you can, if he can play third base and throw that throw across there, you know, then he can throw rocks hey, a long oh, way. Man. You know, my, and, my first trip into or my trip into Afghanistan, I, I told my guys or the people that I was riding with, I said, look, you got nothing to worry about. I got shot at more growing up in my hometown of Pine Bluff. <laughs> 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 it ain't that big a deal. Yeah, it ain't that big, big a deal. deal. Yeah, it's yeah. a big deal if you get hit. It's, it's, <laughs> don't right. get hit, but the shots don't. Yeah, don't worry don't about, about they're missing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and and Tim had done enough of that PT stuff all through, you know, running away from yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that that set my track track. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That tra- that's right. He was a great <laughs> baseball player and a great track athlete. So that that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So so you've got this kind of military career that's building, and you end up in the James Bond role in the secret the secret offices with the secret doors. I'm assuming there's like a we're calling it a layer at this point. It's like off of you know, something off Austin Powers where the ground actually raises up and, you know, you drive in. Is that? Is that? Well, not, not quite, but, but the NGIC, uh, if we'll back mm-hmm. up, um, that first intel assignment, and that's air def- being an air defense guy opened that door for me. So okay. I'll always be thankful to air defense artillery mm-hmm. and, and all because it created this door for me to be able to get into the NGIC and do um, a foreign weapon system, science and technology exploitation of foreign weapon systems. So okay. we would acquire foreign Systems, whether it be ground-based, uh, AAA radars, you know, whatever the case may be. Have How the would you acquire these? On the dark web? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some country, you know, uh, there's just different ways that our nation goes about. There are organizations out there that mm-hmm. we end up with them and the smart guys get a hold of them. Because I watched War Dogs the other night and I was like, yeah. dude, I could mm. be a, I could de- be a <laughs> I, net war, you know, global could, arms dealer. Yeah, ask Victor Boots about that. <laughs> Who's Victor yeah. Boots? Uh, probably, well, he's the one. Did you ever see Lord of War with Nicolas Cage? Yeah. I didn't Lo- see it, but I know. Loosely I based off of his story. But yeah, okay. 2006, he ended up getting nailed in uh, Taiwan or uh, Thailand and all. But he was a Soviet, you know, when the wall came down, connections in the Soviet military, mm. acquired a lot of helicopters, airplanes, became the largest contract transportation company in the world. Okay. But he turned into an affair. You know, he was kind of doing some good stuff and some bad stuff. Mm. And uh, and they were able to put the hammer down on him, but yeah, that whole 
uh, more dogs and that, you know, it's, it's, it's glamorous for about two weeks till you get caught. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just yeah. fascinating, man. It was fascinating. So, and I actually had lunch today with a guy and he said, yeah, I think I'm going to have to be deployed here before too long. And here's where I'm going. And I was like, I know where that is. He said, do you know where that is? I was like, actually I do. I just watched war dogs. I think it's called the triangle of death. <laughs> he was like, well, I hope that's not what it's called. <laughs> yeah, really. It earned its name somehow. Yeah. I do not want to be there. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, but yeah, so I did the NGIC and through the NGIC, I ended up in Afghanistan. So I was their liaison officer to Afghanistan. And this is where really fun stuff started happening for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and all. So I got over there and I got linked in with this group and, and was able to run around. I had my own sat phone. I had my own, you know, we could call up and go get on an MI-8, MI-17 helicopter. I got on the, the DAT, Defense Attaché, had access to his Learjet, um, just whatever transportation mm-hmm. we needed. I had a letter from the CFC commander at the time. So this is said, while you're in Afghanistan? Yeah. That okay. said, basically, if I need on there, I have priority and they bump whoever they need to bump to get me and two or three other guys that would travel okay. with me on there. And, and I had yeah. a DEA guy, a CIA guy, myself, and, uh, and then, uh, I call him a steely eyed killer guy, but, um, you know, he was there to basically protect us. Wait, yeah. the steely eyed killer guy. He, so wait, he's, wait, let's hear about that. Yeah. Guy. He's yeah. like, well, he, he's like, Mark, he's like Mark Wahlberg in every movie Mark Wahlberg's yeah, in. I'm exactly. assuming. Yeah, that's what I I'm just thinking. imagine Mark Wahlberg <laughs> that, with more uh, tattoos. Who was the and, dude like, on yeah. Under Siege, right? That yeah. boat, the boat guy. What was that guy's oh, name? Yeah. You know oh, yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah well, the, I, no, he was I, the chef, like the yeah, cook. And yeah. Yeah. He was the KGB agent. Yeah. Whoever that was. Was that Steven Seagal? Was that Steven Seagal? Yeah. I imagine Steven Seagal out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what it's like? Is that what the steely eye killer Guys like? uh, well, he, 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 he fit the part, but I actually had two steely-eyed killer guys, yeah. and um, one of them, uh, so we're flying in from Turkey into Kazakhstan, and um, and then from there, we're going to fly into Afghanistan, and so in Turkey, we, you know, me and a guy named Bob Yobbs, and Bob's this awesome dude now. Mm-hmm. Bob was the leader, the leading expert in the world on Soviet RPOA uh, thermobaric weapons, and uh, he was from the NGIC too, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're flying in. In Kazakhstan, we linked up with a guy that was from Delta Force. Mm-hmm. And so he and I kind of hit it off, and and uh, we were trying to get into Afghanistan. And, and it's not like you can just fly in whenever you want. And, you know, there's units coming in and out, mm-hmm. and so getting space now, on Now, war plane, dogs would make you think otherwise, though. So Yeah, yeah. It, I just want you to know, like, uh, I, and I trust the movies on this stuff. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I know you lived it, but, uh, yeah, that's all right. but you know. I only I lived know. a very small part of it. Yeah, uh-huh. Go but, ahead. Uh, but um, so I, I got us a, a CIA bird that was going in. And, uh, and so there was this guy and he was sitting over there by himself and he had the beard and he was, he was fit and just, you know, he just looked the part. And he yeah. had all, the, he had an MP5 across his chest. He had, had a long gun. He had everything you could think of. And, and I'm sitting there looking at this guy and I'm thinking, wow, you know, this guy's, he's going in to do some scary stuff. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say anything to us. And so me and, and Delta Force, who really is the guy, yeah, you yeah. know I mean? And, and he's just a normal looking dude, you know, yeah. hanging out, having a good time. Yeah, he looks and, like an accountant. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> well, like, he, was, he was a little weathered, but you could, okay, he was okay. just a great guy. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so he and I were sitting there. Well, we're flying in. When you fly into a combat zone, they do these, the Air Force does these crazy maneuvers, you know, to, to avoid. I'm not sure of reasons why they do it. But anyway, it's for people in the back. If you don't know it's coming, it's kind of throws you off a little Ooh. bit. So, oh, what's going on? Yeah. I knew it was coming. I'd been in and out a couple of times. So I was ready. Delta, obviously, he was ready for anything. Yeah. And Bob's over there. He's taking a nap. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so we look over at Steely Eye Killer Guy and Delta, he, he elbows me. He says, Tim, give me that bag. Give me a bag. Dude's about to puke. Okay. So, 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 so I hand him this plastic bag and he, he start, you know, throwing up in this plastic bag and I'm sitting there going, 
that doesn't really fit the part. Well, maybe he had a hard night last night. Maybe yeah, that's yeah. just a bunch of tequila coming out yeah. or something. And uh, and so we land, and and Delta had some guys pull up on a four wheeler to to get him. And you know he was like, all right, man, we'll see you around. And and um, you know Bob went off to his his area, and then I had some people come up from Cobble to get me. And and I looked over, and Steely had Killer standing there by himself, and he looked lost. And I was like, hey, dude, you need some help. Man, did you get on the wrong plane? <laughs> yeah, I'm, sitting, <laughs> I'm like, I was like, you need some help. And uh, and he looked at me, and his eyes got real big, and he says, yes, please. And uh, and I said, well come on, man, I'll give you a ride wherever you need to go. And, and, uh, got in, he was an NSA analyst. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so a really smart dude. Probably yeah, the smartest yeah. guy on the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's plane. a smart guy on the plane. What, what, was he, he trying to look like the silly I, 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 I think when he left NSA, they were telling him, this, you need this. And you need yeah, this. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure like this would be the joke I would play yeah, on people, yeah. right? It's like, you're walking out the door and like, listen, man, when you, when you go on one of these flights, you gotta, you're going to need an M16 and you're going to, if you don't have a long gun and you don't have a bulletproof vest and you don't, yeah, you're, yeah, that's fantastic. So he's the, so he's the computer hacker. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, like I say, really, we ended up doing a lot of work together. You know, mm-hmm. those guys that go out and listen to phone, you know, they do, they have some really sophisticated equipment right. and neat, neat things they do. But that was the one steely eyed killer, the one that was traveling with us. Now he was, he's your typical, you know, army ranger guy, mm-hmm. you know, and he just, yeah. and uh, he and I got along. Matter of fact, I tried to sell him for a couple of camels. To uh, the police chief of Kandahar. <laughs> he tried to sell the guy. We had a sleeve tat. And, yeah. uh, and uh, we, so we walk in and, and uh, we're meeting with the police chief of Kandahar, which is where the Taliban stronghold. I mean, it's a bad area. Yeah. We're in there and I've got this Afghan general and, and then I've got this, you know, steely killer there. And the guy was rubbing his arm. He was amazed with his tattoos. Uh-huh. And I said, I said, tell him I. I'll give them to him for two camels. <laughs> and that, that guy's over, he's cussing me under his breath, you know. <laughs> he's a little mad. So. Did you have the authority to just give him one? No, no. Not, not really. Hey, trust me, if, if it would even look like it was going to go that way, that guy probably would have shot me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not lost any sleep over it. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a big deal at all. Damn, I've only known you for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So uh, how do you get there and you just adapt to this lifestyle of, you know, what I'm imagining is Mm -hmm. every, you know, cool war movie I've ever seen. Well, and I always, when when I've been able to speak at different organizations and stuff, I always caveat it with my, my experience in a combat zone was not like what you see on TV. It was not like these, the warriors, the soldiers that go out there and do the hard day-to-day work. And I never want to discredit what they've done or do. And what I did was a, a small, small drop in the bucket compared to the courage those guys have to show on a day-to-day basis. So my respect totally to the guys that kind of run in that normal army, traditional army role. Mm-hmm. Um, I went over representing a, an intelligence organization with access to travel and and all these other things. So I did battlefield tourism. You know, I mean, I was okay. 34 provinces in the country. I got to 24 of them. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I got to see more of the country probably than most people that have ever been in the country with yeah, the military yeah. and all. So I was very fortunate that way. So when you're in Afghanistan, anything crazy happened? Really, my my experience wasn't like the traditional, but I did have a couple of events that, yeah. that kind of stood out. I had a couple opportunities. But but one, I'm traveling with this small team, and like a, you know, one was a DEA agent, one was a CIA guy. We had this Afghan general, Wardak, that's mm-hmm. with us, and an interpreter, and steely-eyed killer guy. And, and we're driving down the road in this two-vehicle convoy, and uh, we're flying along, and all of a sudden over the radio, I hear the word buds. 
And then the, the, the lead vehicle just pulls over and slams. When you say over the radio, you're telling everybody on the convoy has is in. Yeah, yeah, wide, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. You got, you know, it's like a walkie talkie. How many, how many, how many, two, two vehicle convoys? Yeah, two. We were a small team. Okay. So all we have were two, two regular vehicles. They weren't up armored or anything. We're just yeah. out cruising around with tinted windows. And, and uh, I, sometimes when we'd leave, I'd put a burka on and scoot mm-hmm. down in the seat, you know, that kind of thing. But so we're out, we're going. He yells, Buds. And I'm like, what in the world? So when you stop, you have to pull security. You don't just stop on the side of the road and hang out. You, mm-hmm. you're, in, you know, you're in a hostile area. So you jump out and you pull security. And, um, and so I jump out across the ditch and I look over and behind these bushes was this red mat. And this guy was laying there with an AK-47 next to him. And, and so I just immediately ran over and I like, crammed my M4 down in his mouth and I put my foot on his chest and I'm sitting there and I don't know what to do. So I'm kind of panicked, you know, a little bit. My eyes yeah, are yeah. huge. And, and I'm like, cause I don't understand why we stopped. And then all of a sudden General Wardak, the Afghan guy and the interpreter, they come running over going, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, you know, and I'm sitting there going, what, you know, and, and this guy's still, you know, he's close to his AK 47. And, and so, you know, I go over, I kick it out of the way and uh, he's bleeding from the mouth and everything. And, and they, they explained to me, um, the DEA guy was like, oh, I saw these marijuana. And, and so the guy's bed was back behind a row of marijuana uh, plants. And they were all real uh. big, green, bushy <laughs> plants. <laughs> and he says, I was just wanting to stop and get some pictures. <laughs> so, oh. so he said buds? Yeah, buds. Oh, see, so yeah, I, I thought when you said buds, it was like, we forgot the beer back at the... Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's what I, that's what I thought, around. too. <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, I didn't know what to do, man. I about shot a guy because you yeah. wanted to take a picture. And I got some pictures, you know, on my computer of these marijuana plants and the red mat behind it. So, Oh, my yeah. gosh. Now, now did nice. the guy... So the guy that you crammed the M4, is he yeah. a friendly guy? Uh, well, he never was really nice to me after that. <laughs> <laughs> he and I weren't going to be friends. We weren't going to be buds. <laughs> we weren't buds. <laughs> I wanted to say, hey, go smoke one, dude, and calm down. So what, what, <laughs> was, he, what was he doing there? What, well, he was napping. That was his plants. Oh, he my goodness. Just, oh, he, he, just, just, oh, he was just like <laughs> taking a nap. Now, no now, wonder he didn't like you yeah, anymore. That's right. <laughs> now, is, mar- is marijuana illegal in Afghanistan? Well, d- no. And, and, and you know, the farmers there, the poppy trade, all those things. I mean, it's amazing, at, uh, you know, what they do. But, no, it's, it's, it's not. There yeah. was crazy incidents like that give us an idea of something like a like a this is what goes on in the military this is what really goes on in the military all right when i was a platoon leader in the 101st uh-huh. so i'm gonna go back to traditional army now yeah and we're on this big exercise it's called purple dragon there's like thirty-five thousand people participating in this exercise marines the brits the 101st the 82nd you know it's just a big huge thing and uh, and and so we air assaulted we 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 Flew down to Myrtle Beach and air assaulted from Myrtle Beach into Fort Bragg. And I mean, we're playing this thing real. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're rolled up, you get yeah, off your yeah. helicopters, all this stuff, and then the paratroopers are jumping in and doing their thing. Well, um, so we get there. and Is there an enemy in this? Is there a, yeah, that's what I'm getting to. So there's, okay. a, there's an opposing force, okay. and, and it's made up of American troops too. And, and the opposing force helicopters had a three foot by three foot white square painted underneath and on the sides. Okay. And so in my briefing to my guys, I'm like, look, how you can differentiate between a Black Hawk that's friendly and a Black Hawk that's not in this exercise is the three foot by three foot white square. Mm-hmm. So we go through this whole thing. You make it through two weeks in the field, you know, everything. And it's it's coming to a, a wind down and it's, the Chinook flies over the talk and I'm in the Rockassans and I'm the air defense guy and and the talk is shaking because the rotor wash is just mm-hmm. so great. And, and, and Rock 6 looks over at me. He's like, Damn, is that is that is that friend or foe? And so I call out to a team that I had positioned out there, and I was like, "Hey, is that a friend or a foe? What's going on?" And uh, and he says, "Oh, sir, it's a friendly." I was like, "Okay." So I told Rock Six, "Sir, it's a friendly." He's like, "All right." Well, next thing you know, you hear pop, 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 all this gunfire going on, 
and he's looking over at me and uh, and everything. So it was an enemy helicopter. They had landed a platoon of infantry, and they got out. And in the after-action review, and it was over with, we were asking that, and Brock Six was in there, and, and, and he was like, okay, Sergeant, you know, why, what made you believe, did you not, were you not briefed on what the Op 4 helicopters were? Which he was thinking, you know, he was going to get Lieutenant Rose, you know, yeah. train up a good a lieutenant. And the guy looked up with a straight face and said, well, sir, in the briefing, Lieutenant Rose said that it was a three foot by three foot white square. This was more tan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, and that's a true story. Oh, <laughs> and, and I learned the the, the 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 subtleness of communication at that mm, point. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you really got to yeah, yeah. specify it. Yeah. It could be white. It could be a little it, taupe. It, it, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, it might be pink. We don't know. <laughs> that's right. We don't know. But if, <laughs> but if it's I, three foot by three foot square, paint it on the side. Yeah, shoot at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shoot yeah. it down. It's <laughs> <laughs> so uh, these exercises. Mm-hmm. How big did these things get? And and like just a just a just a guess, just a ballpark guess. How much money do you think we spend on these types of exercises? Oh Lord, yeah, I, I well, I couldn't even venture to guess because when I was doing those, see, that was when I was the very first. I only I was only spent five years in what you'd call the traditional army. Uh-huh. The rest of it, I spent running around with the, the IC. So. Um, I, I just don't know. But you yeah. start talking about 35,000 troops, all the fuel, the helicopters, right, the, right. you know, the exercises, the the, the munitions that are used. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a vast sum of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's necessary, sure. but it's a vast sum of money. I actually, one of my mentors was a guy named Perry Pickert, who was the uh, chief economics officer for the CIA over China. Okay. And um, when I was at the National Intel University, and I went to Congress with him. He got to testify before Congress on this different types of topics but and i got to carry the bag you know i was that guy but uh but anyway so but um, that's how i am for my little boys baseball games you yeah, know gets yeah. to carry the bag I, I buy the gatorades i bring the bag you know you get like that's i i get that i understand that real to well. carry yeah. the bag into congress though to testify before congress that's got to be that's pretty about, that's pretty, about pretty cool that's pretty straight cool. out of pine bluff i'm telling you i get ex- i was excited every day i was in the military oh yeah it's every day man. yeah it's just like this is awesome another interesting thing that you got to do was you got to do some, and I don't want to call it counterterrorism finance. Is that mm-hmm. yep. is that fair? Did I did, yep. I did I do that right? Yeah, I actually um, stood up. Uh, well, Strategic Command, the headquarters, needed a presence at a counter threat finance uh, a forum that took place. It was headed up by SOCOM, Special Operations Command. They were the lead for DOD and all things counter threat finance in the very beginning parts of the war. I got tapped on the shoulder, happened to be walking down the hallway. They said, hey, didn't you used to be, didn't, didn't you used to have a Series 7 and all of yeah. that? And I'm like, yeah, Roger, sure. And they're like, okay, you're my new threat fighter. Like, did you did you ever open a TCBY? And like, I did open it. And they're like, I did do a TCBY. Get that in the kitchen and yeah, start making yeah. some yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> Roger, sir, I got it, man. I got it. I got it. Best, best yogurt you ever had. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so I go and, and, and I started going down to um, uh, Tampa a couple of times, three, four times a year. And this is when McCraven was the, and all was, uh, was down there. But, Briefing uh, counter threat finance to they they would hold these global synchronization conferences where the entire community the counterterrorism community would come together and synchronize operations. Okay, and so a very fascinating th- place to be. And there would be different breakout groups, and counter threat finance was one of them. Counter threat finance mm-hmm. that's what it's called. So how do nefarious people move money around? Because these are massive amounts of money, right? Yeah. When it's, it's well, it really it's not that on- easy to move that that much money around, right? right? Well, and it really depends on the nefarious group that you're talking about. But there, there are different, and you know, I'll stay very surface level and small. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you've heard the term hawala. You know, that's an informal money trans, uh, you know, remittance 
system that's set up primarily in the Middle East. Okay. Uh, that's one, uh, one mechanism where like I, if I, I could go down the street and find someone who is a Hawala money transfer person and have cash that I may have acquired, who knows how. Yeah. And uh, uh, either legally or illegally or a combination thereof, uh-huh. I could go to him and say or her and say, I need this moved over to uh, pick a country. Gotcha. And then that person would then contact Hawala receiver. Okay. And so, so I would give that person the cash, the money. That person then would make the exchange with the Hawala over there, and then that person would either give the cash or, or, or items or whatever it is that we were wanting to transfer to the receiver on the other end. So the two people, the buyer and the seller, never touch touch so, each other. Yeah, so this is like MoneyGram? <laughs> MoneyGram. <laughs> yeah. What was the hey, other one? Western Union? Western, well, yeah, Western like, Union. Like other Western. than there's no paper trail. So oh, and no paper trail. None. It's all yeah. done over the phone. It's, it's gotcha. real informal. Hawalas only deal with Hawalas they know. And, uh, okay. they, and they trust, and it's a very, you know, dangerous business. Now, so. is Hawala the term for the person doing it? Yes. Well, okay. the Hawala is the, the, the system. Gotcha. Yeah. And and it's not unlike, you know, there's informal money transfer systems all around. And a lot of countries have different ways that China has their yeah. own informal. You know, there's, there's, there's an underground market in the United States. There's no money trail Mm-mm. that occurs. Right. But is it cash? Is cash get it, transferred? Cash gets transferred. And, and is this uh, and U.S. dollars? These, these, well, and how... how Yes, you can. They they actually have a better exchange rate than if you were to try to do it through a legitimate system. Gotcha. And, and all. So and there's lower fees and all these. There's advantages you to know, do we should, it. We should talk to them about this because I think that they're sitting on a gold mine. They're not charging enough. <laughs> I mean, you're you're moving. They need to, to charge some fees. But, yeah, but, they're, yeah. but they're staying alive. And, and that's staying alive. <laughs> staying alive. <laughs> that, that's you Start know. There's, there's a fees. balance in there. Somewhere. I don't know. You're I don't dealing know. with nefarious I think, people. I think you just got to make sure you you get you get paid for what you do. You know, yeah. if yeah. I'm gonna if I'm gonna move your thirty five million dollars from one country to another, it's a hey. it's it's a pretty steep fee. You're well, gonna do it, and you're gonna do it for free. Yeah. Right? That's well, and, and, and does move, anybody ever move, do this? Do what? they ever do this at gunpoint? Uh, well, I'm sure it's, it's, it's happened. happened. Yeah, I'm sure okay. there's, um, you know, to really step outside to the level that some of these organizations do, mm-hmm. you really got to be. Off the reservation, depri- you it's know, just, depraved. Yeah, complete disregard for the law, complete disregard for human, for life. human life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just yeah. and most people and organizations are motivated by what? Same as we are, greed. Right. You yeah, know, right. and, sure. and and money, and so so they're going to look for the most advantageous way for them to do it at the cheapest price, and if that means doing yeah. something horrible to this guy as opposed to paying him, you know, yeah. you know, they they have some, they're not dummies. I mean, they're some smart people. Right. How are you tracking these dollars? How do you, like? Give us an example of of the the Eureka moment. The we got them. Right yeah. Here. Well, you know, in, in the U.S. system, there are a lot of um, indicators out there with the algorithms and software. You know, you mm-hmm. guys work in this industry. You know it better than I do. Um, you know, there's different organizations and things, Vanguard and others that you know they will look at. Uh, trading anomalies or yes. you know money anomalies yes. or whatever the case may be, and so so. How do you get around that? And if you have somebody on the inside, it's a lot easier and you can do it for a little while. Mm-hmm. That guy's expendable. You lose that pipeline. It's no big deal. I'll just open another pipeline over here yeah. as, a, as a big nefarious organization moving large money. Um, how, do you, how do you identify that and know it? Uh, when I was there, we designated, and now this is a guesstimate. Somebody could probably go find all this on the internet, but um, you know, around 20 uh, entities and or, uh, individuals uh, for under 13 to 24, I believe, uh, funding and, and assisting terrorists. So okay. so they got a designation where we froze their funds and, you yeah, know, did all yeah. those types of things. And it wasn't guys like me that, were, you know, that's that's a big 
ticket item. That's mm-hmm. Department of Treasury. And the key is what authorities does each organization have to do certain things? Okay. And so I spun a four-star general up, or I, I spun his deputy up into the ceiling as a, uh, as a young major at one of these uh, global synchronization conferences talking counter-threat finance. And so we were in this discussion, and it was talking about who has the authority to interdict, impact the funds that are being moved and all of that. And one of the, the bright people up, up there said, well, what about STRATCOM? You know, I'm not in a position to make that decision for STRATCOM, obviously. Right, I'm right. way down the totem pole from the four-star general. And so, uh, so you know, I said, I said, sir, I said, I said it on the surface to me, it, you know, that's fine. I'll, I'm willing to take that to the boss mm-hmm. and all that. Well, that got back to the deputy that I signed STRATCOM up for a particular <laughs> mission. And so, so I go in in this two-star Navy admiral, and I'm in the Army, you know, and this too far, he's wired pretty tight. And uh, he spins up in the ceiling, and he's yelling and spits flying and everything. And I'm kind of watching him amazed, you know, and when he calmed down, I was like, sir, that, but that's not what I said. You know, so, so I talked to him off the ledge and got him back, and then uh, he went and briefed General Cartwright when he came in for the briefing and sat down. And I, you know, I said, sir, here's an update on our conference. And, mm-hmm. and I gave it to him. And, and, uh, and then he went into this long explanation, which he went on to be the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs. So he's a brilliant oh, guy. Wow, yeah. But um, he gave me this explanation about authorities. Uh-huh. And, it, and it stuck. So you can only do what you have the authority to do. So what about, now you, you spent some time at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. I have two options now. So I, I, I thought I was going to go be a counter intel guy down in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. I got a call from my branch manager. He says, are you sitting down? And I was like, oh, okay, where am I going? Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, what's going on? He said, uh, G2, which is the highest ranking army intel guy, wants you to be the branch chief for strat intel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, so I'll go do that. Well, in that job, through that job, I, I got to go brief in the White House situation room, do some other things. But cool. um, when I left there, I basically had my pick of assignments. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to go work for the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. There's a guy named Mike Vickers, Dr. Mike Vickers. If you ever see the movie Charlie Wilson's War, mm-hmm. he's the guy playing chess in the park and, and uh, legit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you ever see the movie Black Hawk Down? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's a guy named Tom Matthews who is the commander, and he's portrayed in the movie. He's the commander of 160th SOAR and uh, falls into what I call the top tier of one or two, three leaders that I've ever come across in my life. Remarkable person, and, and I stay in touch with him. Um, he was kind of one of the bosses there. And then, and it was in the same office, a guy named Jerry Boykin, mm-hmm. uh, used to be the uh, deputy, the DUSD, deputy undersecretary of defense for Intel, which, um, he was one of the founders of Delta force. Okay. And, uh, and all, and actually one of the pivotal reasons why I ended up joining the military and was so interested in the army anyway, there's a long backstory to that, which we'll tell at some point at a dinner or something. Yeah. But, um, I tell TM, Tom Matthews that, you know, Hey, you know, it hasn't escaped me. I'd be the only guy in the office without a movie made after him. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, right. So, so, uh, um, but at the same time, uh, President Obama was standing up a um, counterterrorism strategic communications group inside the State Department. Mm And, uh, and all, well, I was by name requested to go take that role as the Intel guy to provide this interagency organization day-to-day Intel updates. Uh-huh. You know, they were the smart guys. I was just going to feed them information so they could be smart. And, and that seemed appealing. Yeah. But these other guys were my heroes. Yeah. And, yeah. and all that. And so, mm-hmm. so I called a buddy of mine up and, and, uh, and I said, John, I said, do you want to, uh, do the state department job and I'll put your name in for it. And he was, he was like, yeah, I'll, you know, and he was better suited for it than I was anyway. 
So he goes over and does this. Well, he gets there June 2012. I get to the Pentagon. What happened September 11, 2012? Mm-hmm. Benghazi. So what was the message, the national strategic communication message that took place? Was that it was a movie, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that, that drove this. So who created that message? You know, I mean, and, yeah. and where does that come from and all that? And so um, I called my buddy John up a few months later, we're at Christmas time. And I'm like, hey, brother, uh, where you at? What's going on? And he says, oh, uh, I'm working on my Ph.D. at Georgetown. And I said, wait, that was a two-year assignment. <laughs> so <laughs> he said, I had to sign a non-disclosure, and they sent me off for my choice of what I'd like to do. I said, oh, oh, really? Okay. Wow. But, then, but I got to go and work, mm. you know, like I say, in an environment that if, had I not run into the health issues I did, mm. I felt been remarkable platform to jump into the next the next arena for me yeah. and also I, I got to be around some remarkable people there yeah, this was a lot at, of things this is at the pentagon right yeah 17 miles of hallway twenty five thousand people what and, goes on at the pentagon yeah what's that i'm like? just imagining yeah. like it's like an indoor golf course i okay. always all right so uh, is there an indoor golf course? did you come up to the you didn't come with i them. didn't uh yeah the family did but i didn't get to go yeah, yeah. so i got yeah. i got to take the family into the white house situation room and mm-hmm. and do that and then I, I took them around the pentagon well when you walk in the pentagon it's like a shopping mall uh-huh. There's a chocolate store, there's a flower store, there's a card store, there's clothing stores, yeah. and, and it really is like a shopping mall. And, and it's a, the reason why they did that is because of guys like me that gets assigned to the Pentagon and you're there, you know, 80, 100 hours a week, and you realize, oh, it's my anniversary – I can oh. run by and grab some chocolate. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Chocolate flowers. That's right. Cards. I'm set up ready to go. Yeah. That way you can work extra time, run yeah. down there, grab it, and That's then go right. home, right? Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's designed. They built it in uh, two, you know, 18 months back uh-huh. in the 1940s, and it's 17 miles of hallway, and you can get anywhere in that building in seven and a half minutes. That's incredible. Really? So, but, but as far as what takes place in there, I, I only had exposure to a very small piece. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, each department of the Army, Air How Force, How many Navy, people Army, worked at the Pentagon? Around 25,000. 25,000. Yeah, and I'd say about 8,000 of them were my boss. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, there, were, they, there were generals everywhere. Do, do people, do you, like, do you salute at the Pentagon? No, no, you know, no, no. Well, you never, you don't salute indoors anyway. Okay. Uh, uh, but, um and when you're outside, you're undercover, so you don't salute and everything. Mm-hmm. But but there are, I mean, you know, you could be walking down the hall. I, my my office was 30 seconds away from the Secretary of Defense office because right. of the role, my boss's role as the Undersecretary of Defense for Intel. Mm-hmm. He was one of the top players, you know, for the SecDef. He was one of his key advisors. Gotcha. And one of the president's key advisors. He was the Deputy Director of National Intelligence. So this is the number two Intel guy. Yeah. And then you were talking about intelligence organizations department of energy well there's there's 18 of them now there were 17 when i was doing this and department of defense controls eight of those so my boss was over nsa nro nga dia all the services okay okay and all that so so we we oversaw all of those intelligence organizations Mm -hmm. you know my my little office we did some neat things we were warfighter support so um, you know, I, I was in charge of Western Hemisphere, mm-hmm. which involved, uh, you know, a lot of things with transnational crime. It involved yeah. a lot of things. And I was also the lead for counter ID, okay. partly because of my background and partly because I happened to be the newest guy when I walked in the door and nobody else wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it's a small shop. There's like six, seven of us total. Yeah. And, um, and so if the president was traveling somewhere in my region of the world, we'd have to build a, br- a book with right. all pertinent information that he would read on the plane over, yeah. you know, those types of things. Um, and then what a cool experience, but I mean, what, give me something that you, you went into it and you went, that is so cool, but not anything like I would have ever thought. Yeah. Um, 
because I got to it at, at later in life, I wasn't necessarily surprised by that because I'd been in the Intel, mm-hmm. you know, world and kind of run those circles. In some ways, I was underwhelmed when I got read into some of these things that I thought were going to be really eye-opening. Yeah. You know, and you're just kind of like, oh, really? That's yeah. it? And um, and then and I had it explained to me that, you know, what we know we don't want to let out, but what we don't know, we don't want to let out because you want the other guy right. having to guess. And so if they have to divert money to try to figure out a certain way to do something, to counter something they believe we have, yeah. then that's just money they're spending against something that we're, you know. And so there's a lot of things that are close hold for that very reason. We may yeah. not have the answer to it, but we don't want anybody to know we don't have the answer to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the culture? What is the culture in the Pentagon like? Yeah, now that's, that is interesting. So... I was surprised by that. There's different personalities, just like in any organization. But by and large, uh, during work hours, you know, when somebody's going to a meeting, it's pretty much business. I mean, they're they're either they're either looking straight ahead or they're looking down. There's not a lot of smiling going on. Mm. If you're over, if somebody's walking down the hall and they're kind of joking and hanging out, then they're either on lunch or going to lunch. Yeah, you know. So, but when when game game is on, it's on, and it's not you know it's not a real jovial place. Yeah, during your time to be working. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause it's serious business and, and the people at the Pentagon, you know, do you feel the weight. Are you, are you feeling the weight of the world basically? Well, I think because we were warfighter support, the warfighters are out doing the, the hard, hard work and their lives are on the line. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're running, so being in the undersecretary of defense or Intel, you know, looking over covert operations and different things like that, or having, you know, input, if, if, if a certain level of person asks a question, you don't jack around with that, mm-hmm. you know? And so because of who my boss was, and I was the lowest ranking guy in our office, but because of who my boss was, I could pick up the phone and call with the authority of the undersecretary of defense for Intel or the warfighter support three-star general or, you know, mm-hmm. or senior executive civilian types. And I would speak with that authority. Hey, this is Tim. I'm calling from, I need this. Yeah. And, and it would happen just like that. Mm. You know, they yeah. wheels would start moving. Yeah. Hey, that we're, man, we're running out of time quickly here, but to flip it back over to finance, Don, you're seeing that shift into small and mid-cap stocks. You're watching that occur, right? Well, yes, we've been talking about this for quite a while, that this this shift from value, from growth to value would eventually happen. It always does. And now we're beginning to see that shift happen. You know, you can see mm-hmm. year-to-date the S&P 500 growth um, is at 0.48%. So basically negligible, right? I mean, hardly any growth in the S&P 500 growth sector, right. uh, growth stocks, whereas the value, the S&P 500 value side up 10.8%. So uh, same thing in the mid cap area, same thing in the small cap area, especially in the small cap value up 32.7% year to date. So the place to have had money since January one is in small company values, small stocks, cap values, yeah, small and value stocks values. in general. We're looking at yeah. the sector performance and seeing that man energy up over forty percent so far a year to date. Financials up eighteen percent. They had a horrible year in twenty twenty, and then technology, which just absolutely knocked the cover off the ball in twenty twenty, uh, up about seventy six percent over the last twelve months. But year to date, up less than one percent. Yeah. Uh, consumer staples, which also had a great year last year, up only about or down two and a half percent so far this year. So the sector rotation is on. If you haven't had a chance to check out the sector rotation video that I posted in the Sphere Wealth Management page on Facebook, take a look at that. If you're not in the Mr. Market podcast group, 
The group name will change soon. We'll have to change the name of the group as we change the name of the podcast. And so for the very last time, join the Mr. Market Podcast group on Facebook. Check us out on the Sphere Wealth Management page. And if you'd like to check us out on the web, spherewealth.com. Hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening.